Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm very pleased to have Dr. Jamie Barstein as my guest today. Dr. Barstein is a licensed clinical psychologist with a specialization in the assessment and treatment of individuals with neurodevelopmental disabilities, such as autism spectrum disorder. She currently works at the HELP Group in several different departments, including the Plan Assessment Center, in which she completes diagnostic evaluations for individuals across the lifespan suspected of having ASD, the Help Group's Kids Like Me program, in which she runs after-school social skills and anxiety groups, as well as the Help Group's Kaleidoscope program that serves LGBTQ plus youth and young adults. Dr. Barstein also supervises doctoral students and postdoctoral fellows. Although trained as a child and adolescent psychologist, Dr. Barstein has over 15 years of experience working with individuals with neurodevelopmental disabilities in both research and clinical settings and has received extensive training in multidisciplinary and evidence-based assessment and treatment through her doctoral and postdoctoral programs and fellowship. Dr. Barstein is passionate about providing mental health and behavioral supports for this community and has developed a particular interest in assisting adolescents and young adults in developing healthy relationships, exploring their gender or sexual identity, and establishing safe sexual behaviors. Currently, she leads a sex education group for young adults with ASD, which we will be discussing today. Welcome, Jamie, and thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this important topic. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I really appreciate you having me. So to begin with, tell us a little bit about why you got into this work and why sex education is an important topic for this population in particular. Yeah, I really appreciate this question. So, you know, if we think about individuals with developmental disabilities such as autism um, or autistic individuals, I'll kind of use the two phrases interchangeably, Um, we think about the core deficit is social communication and uh, social skills. And so inherently there's all these social misunderstandings. Um, And so if we think about, you know, our uh, development of relationships, not just friendships, but also sexual relationships or intimate relationships, if there's deficits in the, in social communication skills, inherently there's going to be deficits in developing a, these relationships. And we have to keep in mind that individuals with autism, uh, the rates at which they, they go through puberty are no different than their typically developing peers. So even though there's the same physical maturation, there's a difference And because of that, what we see is this unfortunate high rate of either being taken advantage of or a victim, some sort of sexual crime, not recognizing the boundaries, um, going a little too far uh, with someone or or doing something sexual in an inappropriate place that can really get them in trouble. And so I think in thinking about this, Um, you know, that's really why teaching sex education is so important for this population. Um, You know, we often see that that kids with autism either opt out of sex education programs or maybe they're receiving accommodations in school and other classes 
but they're not receiving those same accommodations in their sex education classes. Or I tell parents all the time, you know, where did you learn about sex? It wasn't through your sex education class. It was through your peers and your peer group. And if you don't have access to this peer group, you're missing out on this really important information. So Uh, true, absolutely. Yeah, so I was really fortunate to work with a supervisor. Uh, Her name is Dr. Rachel Lofton who specializes in this topic and in, in working with her and, and she does a lot of forensic work too, just was introduced to this, this really needed area of, you know, why aren't we talking to individuals with developmental disabilities about sex when we know that, again, that physical maturation is no different and that the desires are no different too. So, then what do we know specifically about ASD and sexuality or sexual interests? Yeah, so what we know is that um, there are higher rates of sexual minorities. And so when saying that, I mean individuals who maybe don't identify as being heterosexual. Um, We see higher rates of asexual, individuals who identify as being asexual, um, bisexual, pansexual. We often see that as well. Um, But we do see overall that there's this desire to engage in sexual behaviors and there's this desire to have sexual relationships. Despite this, however, there's a really low rate of individuals who, with autism and other developmental disabilities who are really uh, engaged in an intimate or sexual relationship. And so there's a lot of dissatisfaction there as well. Um, you know, in the current group that I lead with young adults, we talk a lot about also, um, you know, what what peer what have they had access to in terms of their peer groups or their ability to experiment? And so sometimes some of the sexual relationships are a bit delayed, but there's still that strong desire and interest in engaging in a healthy, intimate relationship. So then, what suggestions do you have for parents? Um, how should they talk to their children about sex? Yeah, this is a question that parents ask all the time, and it's tricky. Um, You know, I think what's really important for all kids really is to think about their developmental level and what kind of information is important for them to, to get now. You know, what age are they and what's their understanding? And then also keeping in mind who are they around and what information are they hearing. So even a 13-year-old who maybe doesn't feel developmentally ready for certain topics, what are they hearing at school? What are they hearing from their peers? What are they watching on social media? Um, And what kind of information are they, you know, being exposed to? And what are they maybe not understanding about that information? And so I think for parents what I'd suggest is providing a safe environment for your kid to be able to talk to you about what they're hearing, what they're seeing, um, potentially even you bringing up these topics. So I'll often tell parents, like, be honest, say, this is uncomfortable for me to talk about. Um, you know, this is a, it's a weird topic, especially for a lot of kids to discuss it with their parents. Um, but I think what's really important is that they provide a space that's free of shame. I often tell parents, wouldn't you rather your child ask you a question than Google it or experiment and try it themselves and then realize that it's something that could actually get them in trouble or it's not safe or it makes someone else uncomfortable. Uh, So I think providing that shame-free environment is really important. And then there are some kids 
adolescents, young adults, they don't want to talk to their parents. And so who else can they talk to? Is there another trusted adult, a relative, you know, a, um, a mentor, a, a therapist, or another counselor or provider that they can talk to about these different topics? I think that, you know, this is, this is a really important thing, too, that it's not just on parents. Uh, but it is important to identify someone who their child can talk to about these really important topics. Yeah, exactly. Just providing that outlet for them, whether it's the parent or, as you say, some other trusted individual, the important thing is that they have that available to them so that they can ask the questions and hopefully get some answers that make sense to them at whatever level they they happen to be at, whatever stage of maturation they happen to be at, so that they feel that it's, you know, that it's just something natural and normal and, and it's okay to ask these questions. Exactly. Absolutely. And, you know, I often will tell parents, too, like, certainly it's important to talk about your family values. You know, one topic that we talk about a lot is masturbation. And with masturbation comes a lot of thoughts and opinions in certain cultures and certain, you know, in, in certain religious backgrounds. And it's important to talk to those, to talk to your child about those things and what's acceptable within within their household. Uh, But I think it's also really important to be able to provide a space that their child can talk about the feelings that they're having that are perfectly normal feelings, most likely, Uh, or, you know, how can, how can they engage in a behavior that's, that's safe? Like we'd rather a child go into their bedroom and close the door and lock the door and have that time than go to a public place and engage in some sort of masturbation or sexual behavior. And even that can really get them in trouble. And so just thinking about how can we, you know, really, um, not overprotect our, our kids, but really make sure that we're providing an environment in which they feel supported and that there is more, um, you know, a better idea of, of where and how they can engage in these different behaviors. Well, and that leads me to my next question, which is, are there certain topics that are important to teach, and what do you feel is the best way to teach them? Yeah, great question. So I think this depends on the child or the young adult's developmental level. I think that's really important to consider. Like I said before, it's also considering what kind of information they have access to and who is in their peer group or, you know, who they're hearing information from. But I think the really important topics to think about are um, things like, first of all, I think going through basic sexual anatomy is really important. So that's kind of what we do in the sex education groups that we lead. We start out with, let's make sure we're all on the same page about what are, you know, what are typical parts that you'll see in someone with male genitalia versus female genitalia? What are the different words you're going to hear for this? Because, you know, you're not just hearing penis and vagina. You're hearing lots of other words, especially, again, thinking about our access to Internet and social media. Um, You know, once upon a time we were in person, we're walking down the hallways in school and hearing things, you know, what does that mean? So I think, you know, the terms of the medical terms, but then also the more lay terms that you're going to hear as well. So I think starting with sexual anatomy is really important. And then covering topics, too, that are, uh, you know, important for legal purposes and also social purposes. So things like boundaries and touch, um, things like public versus private, you know, again, where 
I, I think about masturbation a lot. This is a big one that we see is it's perfectly natural and normal to masturbate, but you have to do it in a space that is appropriate. So when and where is it appropriate to engage in these behaviors? Um, talking about legal aspects like who can you engage in sexual behaviors with? You know, I know a lot of individuals with autism benefit from maybe having rules or more explicit instruction. And I think that that's a really important way to teach this is like here are things that are off limits, here are things that are on limits, but even within that, here are the places in which you can engage in these different behaviors. Uh, I think it's really important, too, to teach the social components of recognizing when you might be taking advantage, being taken advantage of, also when you might be accidentally taking advantage of someone else. You know, things like dating, developing relationships, um, and not just what to do and what not to do, but why. You know, that why is, is really hard for a lot of individuals with autism to really grasp, but trying to really either have them try to put themselves in someone else's shoes or just explain the why, right? The reason why you can't engage in this behavior in a public place is because it makes other people uncomfortable. That's just what happens. It makes them uncomfortable, so you can't do it. It's illegal. Um, and, the, and then the ways to teach it, you asked about, too, Using visuals is really important. There's some really wonderful video examples out there. Um, you know, I like to do using uh, vignettes as well. Like, here's an example of something that's happening between these two individuals. What's wrong with this picture? What's right with this picture? Um, and if, what, if you don't have access to those vignettes, use media. Use the television, right? Use movies. Pause the TV and say, ooh, Someone just looked uncomfortable there. Why do you think they were uncomfortable? What's happening here? You know, those are all really great examples of ways in which you can engage in conversation with your kids about what they might be seeing or hearing. Uh, and maybe you'll realize that there's so many references to sexual behaviors in a lot of the content that we're watching uh, on movies and media as well. Uh, but those are all really good examples of times where you can kind of more naturally bring these things into conversation because it's something that you're all viewing together. And then again, you can start to start to comment on what you're seeing. Well, now what about adaptations for individuals with intellectual disabilities? Yeah. And I, I'm glad you asked this because a lot of the sex education programs, especially the one that I'm leading right now are more geared toward individuals who have average and intact um, cognition and language. And so we have to think about this is an important topic, not just for those individuals, but also for individuals who are more impacted as well. And so taking a more behavioral approach can be really helpful. Uh, I have an example that I often give families for, you know, again, I've brought up masturbation a lot because it's a really common topic that people will ask about. And so maybe it's, teaching the individual where is an appropriate place to masturbate by using um, visuals. So a green spot on the door means this is an appropriate place. A red spot means it's not. And maybe the green spot is just in the bathroom at home versus, you know, at school it's, there's red spots places so they know it's not appropriate. Also building into their schedule, having like a specific object that maybe they use in order to be able to, you know, engage in a sexual behavior such as masturbation, that can be really helpful too. And then just teaching, you know, 
ways in which they should and shouldn't engage with other people, I think is important too. So uh, teaching who is okay to hug, who is not okay to hug, kiss, those kinds of things, and just helping to establish those different boundaries, I think can really be helpful in working with individuals who are more impacted, um, really recognize how to make sure that they're not crossing boundaries even though it might not be as easy to have like a verbal conversation with them, at least using behavioral approaches to really be able to intervene. Well, everything that you've been saying, Jamie, is just such wonderful information and so important, I think, for families to be aware of and uh, to discuss, you know, and, and to make sure that they they don't turn a blind eye to to this because it is definitely mm-hmm. something that all of their children are going to go through at some point and on some level. So um, I think this is really terrific. So then if families are interested in joining a group or learning more about this topic and other related topics, how can they reach you? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I will say quickly that I'm just so glad that more and more people are interested in this topic. I think that it really is so important and it's often missed, as I said. And if we can intervene early and we can teach concepts early, it really does, you know, minimize the risk for a population that unfortunately is at risk. So I think, you know, in anyone who's listening to this and thinking, wow, I should really figure out a way to to start to do some of this with my child. You know, it's never too early to start. And it just might be the approach that you're taking might be a little bit different depending on the age of the child. So if anyone's interested in some of the sex education programs or other programs that we're doing, they can also contact me directly. My email is jbarstein at thehelpgroup.org. That's J for Jamie, B for boy, A-R-S for Sam, T for Tom, E-I-N for Nancy, at thehelpgroup.org. All right. And um, at this point, Jimmy, I just want to ask, is there anything that we haven't covered or something specific that you would like to add that you think is a really important takeaway for families with regard to what we've been discussing? I think the only thing I would add is that to anyone who's listening to this and thinking, this is such a tough and tricky topic, how am I going to tackle this? Knowing that you're not alone and that there are people out there who can help support you, whether it's through a parent support group, through a provider, through one of our groups, Um, just knowing that, that this is, parenting is hard, right? Parenting a child with disabilities and then trying to cover topics like sex it's really uncomfortable and really challenging. And so keeping that in mind and just knowing that there are some good supports out there. And again, if anyone wants to contact me, I'm happy to refer them in different directions and, you know, help them figure out what they're looking for. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for your time and for giving us some excellent information today. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I also want to thank our listeners for spending a part of their day with us. I'm Gilda Evans, reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.